0: Good morning. We're glad you're with us today. If uh, you are a child and you have stayed behind and you have the blast zone, um, I will try to say all the words I'm supposed to that you get to make check marks on and whatnot, but uh, Mrs. Beheimer will be the one who will uh, check that uh, this week, so you can join her right over here after the service is over. As well, as soon as uh, the message is done, I will remind you at that time, but uh, we, um, as was mentioned, Stephen and I will be leaving for Africa late Friday night and we'll be gone for a couple of weeks. And um, so we would appreciate if you would pray for us and even pray for us before we go. And so after the message is over, um, we're, Stephen and I will be down here and we would ask if you want to come pray for us, then uh, come on down and we can have a, um, a prayer time down here uh, when the service is over. And I was told that I needed to be done with, you know, some sort of alacrity today. I, I know I don't always do that, but today I'm shooting for a particular time in my mind. I'm not telling you what that time is, though. Because accountability is overrated, so... Open your Bibles to Second Timothy chapter 3, if you would. Second Timothy chapter 3 and a familiar passage we're going to be looking at this week. I'm going to read for us verses 10 through 17. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra. Our Lord and our God, we come to you in this way this morning and thank you that we can do so. We recognize our own need and greater than just our need, we recognize our own sin. We recognize that we have fallen short of your glory this week and we confess that to you and we ask that you would forgive us and we rejoice in the comforting word from the scripture that says that in Christ we have that forgiveness so that as pastor woody said we we don't face you as as our judge but as our father and we are grateful we are grateful for that message of salvation in Christ, peace with you. We're grateful also that you've given us your word. We get to hold it in our hands and we get to read it at will. We get to learn and study and hear from you. I pray this morning as we have your word open, that you would minister to us by your spirit. Instruct us now, we ask, from your very word, inspired by you and given to us. So be pleased to add your blessing to this time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It's an interesting thought experiment to ask yourself what you might say to someone, a beloved uh, family member maybe or someone else that uh, you are close to if you knew or you had a very strong suspicion that uh, you were never going to see them again, what would your last words to them be? I think we could probably imagine those scenarios, and maybe some of you have been in those scenarios on the receiving end of that. And uh, those last words are precious to you. It seems like just putting the the pressure of the final moments, the last conversations, reveals what you truly value what is uppermost in the mind of the person who is about to pass away and when we open second timothy and read these words we we are looking at really paul's last message to timothy his uh, young disciple and co-worker and uh, son in the faith and it's curious it's 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 important for us. It helps us to understand what's being said in this book when we think about the fact that this is the last communication. And Paul seems to be aware of it. He says that my life is about to be poured out. I know the end is coming. So what what sorts of things is he going to include in that last message, in his last words to his beloved Timothy? What is he going to say? Well, Timothy was in a difficult situation. He was a, a younger man. He was ministering, uh, probably in Ephesus, and uh, he was uh, pastoring there. And there were other elders there, and there was difficulty in the church. That some had come in, and they were teaching doctrine that was that was contrary to uh, to a biblical doctrine, and and it was difficult. And Timothy was a little bit timid because he was a, a young man or younger, and uh, and so he was he was uh, tempted to be faint. And Paul writes to him in 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, encouraging him to be strong, to have confidence, to stand for what you know to be true. And so uh, Timothy needed that word. Timothy finds himself in this uh, difficult situation. So, what are uh, Paul's top priorities? What is he going to communicate to Timothy in this last message? Well, we see starting in verses 14. Through 17, and that's really all we're going to look at today. In contrast to those other people teaching the other doctrines, the ones against which Timothy is standing, we read this in verse uh, 14. He says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed. That's the exhortation that he begins with. Continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed. Not not deceiving people like these other uh, hucksters who've come in. These others who are teaching a different doctrine. Not not deceiving, not being deceived like these others. But instead, you have heard and you have learned what is true. Hold to that. And so, <clears throat> he, gives, he gives an exhortation at the beginning. Pardon me. Normally, Paul will give his teaching, 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 and then he'll give exhortation at the end. But in this paragraph here, we actually have him starting with the exhortation. Hold firm. Stay, stay in it. Remain in God's word. Continue in it. And then, in what follows, he gives three motivating truths that Paul wants him to know about Scripture so that He will continue in it, so that He will remain in it. And by extension, these are three truths about Scripture that we are to hold on to, three truths that would motivate us to cling to God's Word, the Bible. And so uh, we have these three three truths laid out here. We remain in God's Word, knowing its qualities, its sufficiency, and its aim. He continues in verse 14 knowing from whom you learned it. Well, from whom did Timothy learn these truths? Well, we, we read that uh, back in Acts chapter 16, we, we read about the fact that Paul is traveling through in uh, the region of Derby and Lystra, and there's a, there's a young man named, uh, there who has a, a, a believing Jewish mother, And a Greek father, but this man Timothy is a Christian, and and Paul decides to take him with him. And so we see that Paul has been a large part of the instruction. I mean, can you imagine being discipled by the Apostle Paul? You know, talk about having learned the truths. You You would learn them, and you would know they were true, and you would know them well. Paul is such a good teacher. But it started really before that. Because Timothy comes from a home where his mother and his grandmother were believers and raised him to know the scriptures, raised him to know the Bible. And so Paul says to him, knowing from whom you've learned it, hold on to it. You know where it came from. You know from whom you've learned it, your mother and your grandmother and me, Paul says. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings from your very Childhood. He had grown up with the Old Testament. What a a benefit it is for a child to grow up in a home where the Bible is taught. That from the beginning the, the Word of God is considered to be the Word of God. And the child is being taught who this God is. The child is being taught what God has communicated to us in His Word. What a benefit. Christian kids have, those who grow up in Christian homes, those who hear the Word of God taught from an early age. Paul says of Timothy, from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings. But he continues, it's not just knowing the Bible. You know, a child doesn't just learn a verse to know a verse. I mean, the child's motivation may be you know, to, to get a you know, candy bar at the end of it or whatever bribe you as parents choose to give your children. By the way, in parenting, I'm all for bribery, okay? I, I'm, not, I'm not poo-pooing bribery. I think there's a, an appropriate use for it, right? But uh, whatever the child's motivation is, the reason we as Christian parents are teaching our children the Bible is because we want them to know what it says. And Paul emphasizes what it says. He says, from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation. Scripture is able to make you wise for salvation. What does that mean? Well, I, as I think about what is involved in salvation, I think about what's involved in what the Bible teaches us about salvation. I think it starts off, first of all, with telling us what God is like. There is a God who is infinite and eternal And he's holy. And he made us. And we as the, uh, you know, even fallen creatures, even before we were believers, we were aware in some sense that there was, that God made us and he must be greater than us and creative and powerful and wise to be able to design our bodies the way he has and all of that stuff. But the Bible makes it so clear what this God is like. That he is not only our creator, he's the one to whom we will give an account and he is holy he is free from sin he is separate from sin sin can't remain in his presence he's holy like that and so we learn that from scripture well then we start learning about ourselves and we start learning about ourselves that that we are not only his creation and we we owe him obedience we owe him our very lives but but we ourselves are flawed i think everybody recognizes that there's there's something wrong but it's scripture that puts a fine point on whats what it is that's wrong. That God's standard is something we don't meet. His standard of holiness and righteousness is laid down in the Bible. We, we don't meet that standard. We consistently fall short of it. And we fall short in such a way that it's not like, boy, I almost made it today. I almost made it. No, no, we fall short in that we often run the opposite direction of what he says. We are to do. And so the Bible defines that as sin. That we have a sin problem. And 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 I said earlier that, that sin cannot remain in God's presence. And we are characterized by sin. So we have a real problem. And that's where the solution comes in. That's where salvation comes in. That God would send his own son. By the way, we would only learn about his son in the Bible. We wouldn't be able to figure it out. With uh, some sort of philosophy, with some sort of meditation, with, with, uh, by, con- by conversing with one another. And what's your experience with the uh, religious experience been like? And we would never arrive at the Son of God becoming man, taking on our flesh, born as a baby and, and living as a man, yet always obedient. We would never have come up with that in our minds. We would never arrive at who is this Messiah, this Savior long-anticipated, who walks in this world sinlessly where we haven't, and then goes to the cross as a substitute for us to take God's righteous wrath in himself and bear that in our place. All the way to the point of death and and burial. And then, of course, as we just celebrated Easter, where God raises him from the dead. Restores him to the right hand of the Father. We, we would never have come up with that. We would never have come up with the idea that God himself would take it upon himself to pay the penalty for our sin within himself. That he would take it upon himself to make us right with him, to declare us to be right with him because of Jesus, his son. The only way you would find that out is from the Bible. And so, Paul here, speaking to, uh, to Timothy, says that these sacred writings are able to make you wise for salvation. But the salvation doesn't just come from knowing the Bible. right? You could, you could memorize the whole Bible and still miss the point. You could, you could know memory verses all day long. You could, you could have the books of the Bible memorized. You could know what's in each chapter and still not know what the book means. It's not just knowledge about the book that brings salvation. He says the book is able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. That's the key. That's the message of Scripture that makes you wise for salvation. That's the message of Scripture that shows you wherein is found your salvation. Not just in doing some things the Bible says. Not just in 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 believing uh, the, the, the historical veracity of the Old Testament or the New Testament or even the resurrection of Christ. Uh, believing that these things actually happened, that doesn't bring you salvation. Believing that it's true doesn't bring you salvation. It's faith in Christ that brings you salvation. And there's only one place you're going to learn about that from the sacred writings. And so... Paul, speaking to Timothy, in his last words, he says, Hold fast to the Scriptures, because you know what they're like. You know what they are like. and The salvation that the Bible points to should keep us going back to the Bible again and again, knowing first of all its qualities, but then secondly knowing its sufficiency. Look at verse sixteen: all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. First of all, Scripture is breathed out by God. We we tend to use the word inspiration. Literally, though, it's breathing out. The emphasis is on the fact of it came from God's mouth. As the very words of God put in, put down to paper, it is breathed out by Him. It comes from the mind of God. It comes from the mouth of God, as it were. And all Scripture is breathed out by God. Well, how does that happen? Well, I don't know precisely... But Peter talks about it in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21. He says, no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, which tells you that this book didn't just come about by smart people or very observant, uh, religiously sensitive people who observe um, religious experience and write about it. It doesn't come by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. They spoke from God as they were carried along by the Spirit. And by the way, the more you read your Bible, the more you can see the differences in the different authors. If you're reading John's gospel, he writes one way. He sounds one way. His language is is very different than, for example, if you're reading Luke's gospel. Luke reads very differently. He's a He's a doctor and, and he's, he's well educated and he's well spoken and he's eloquent and and John John tends to use simpler language and he, he, he relies on a turn of phrase not on big vocabulary he, he relies on on different things than Luke does and yet even though they're so different yet their message is the same their message communicates truths about the same God. Truths about salvation and about us that are very complementary to one another. So that you might find out different information in John than you did in Luke, but it all came from the mouth of God. And so, Paul says here that all Scripture is breathed out by God. comes from Him. And by the way, this is why we trust it. Do you think that almighty god who thought up this universe and then spoke it into existence who keeps it going even now planets we've never even heard of and and solar systems that never entered our mind that that man will never learn about this side of glory he keeps all that spinning do you think that god is able to communicate to us do you think he's able to communicate to us in such a way that his word stays and is reliable that we could count on it? He's able to. And Paul is saying here, he has done so. All scripture is breathed out by God. It has those qualities because it comes from God. And he says here, the Bible is useful or it's profitable to the church because of at least four very important reasons. And the first of all is teaching. It's profitable for teaching. Well, teaching, I think, is relatively straight. I think if you're reading the King James, it will say doctrine. That's the same word, the teaching, the doctrine. It's the same exact thing. And so, of course, we're not surprised to learn that there is doctrine in Scripture, that there are truths being communicated by God to us. Often even truths we would never know had God not communicated to us. That's a strong emphasis, by the way. The teaching is a strong emphasis in all of the pastoral epistles how important it is for us to know what the Bible says and what the Bible means. And so we teach his word. For example, in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 6, Paul says, If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and the good doctrine that you have followed. Doctrine is important. Teaching is important. 1 Timothy 4 verse 13, Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. That's what we're supposed to be about. So today we're obeying that. That's what we're doing today. 1 Timothy four sixteen: Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. So we teach, and we persist in teaching, and we persist in paying attention to our teaching. Teaching is not all that we do, but it's an important part of what we do and then finally, as a correction, he says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 3 and 4, if anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he's puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. Right? So he says there are those who teach, they persist in teaching, but they're teaching wrongly. They're teaching falsehoods. And so uh, he says scripture is profitable for teaching. Why does the church need the Bible? One of the reasons is so we know what to believe. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction. Now, what do those two things mean? We don't use the word reprove all that much. I think another version says rebuke and correction. We use that one all the time. But those, those two middle ones... Are, uh, there, there are four statements being made here, four aspects that are being talked about. The two middle ones are very, very closely related. The first one I mentioned was teaching. That's a positive presentation of what's true. This is true. Okay, That's teaching. Well, mixed up in reproof and correction is the idea of a negative presentation of saying, and this, this is true over here, and this is not true. This thing is not true. It's inconsistent with God's Word. And closely related with that is practice, the lifestyle. Saying this practice is unbiblical. This practice is ungodly. So whereas the first one, teaching, and by the way, the last one, training and righteousness, are both positive presentations. This is what you are to believe, that's teaching. This is what you are to do, that's training in righteousness. The two middle ones are corrections, If you believe this, you're believing something that's false. If you're you're doing this, you're doing something that's ungodly. It's a corrective. And I can say for sure from my own observations, my own heart, and my own experience, I would much rather talk about the positive presentation of truth and, and, and spell out what is true biblical teaching. I would much rather talk to someone who wants to know how to live the Christian life, and I say, oh, this is how you live the Christian life. You do these things. Those are the easy conversations, aren't they? It's a conversation when you've got to say, well, this is truth, but let's talk about what you're believing. You're believing something that's not biblical. There needs to be correction. There needs to be reproof. That's the much harder conversation to have. And by the way, I'm probably not the only one in the room. It's harder to receive, isn't it? When someone comes to you and says, I heard you say this, but that's not true. This is what is the truth. Or I observed in your life a particular practice. It's unbiblical. It's ungodly. Those are tough conversations, right? I'm not the only one, right? You're with me. Okay. I was just checking. It's hard to hear that. It's hard to hear correction. That takes that takes humility in, in ways that you know it's not a lot a lot of fun to be humble in those ways, because sometimes it's humbling. Right? Or when there's a correction in my life, someone observes something I'm doing, and they tell me that's ungodly, that is unbiblical. But we need to keep in mind, as those who who hear correction, who receive reproof from those uh, who, who are around us, who observe our lives, we need to keep in mind what we read in Proverbs 27 and verse 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. And when a Christian comes to us and a Christian says, you know, I've, I've been watching your life and I, I see that you have been doing this thing. I, I, need, to, I need to tell you, brother, sister, that's ungodly. We need to make a correction, a course change in regard to this issue. When we hear that, and that's hard, isn't it? You maybe can remember a time when that's happened. Maybe you can remember your response to it, whether the response was outward and a stiff arm, you know, almost physically, or it was just internally. You know, like my wife says, I may be sitting down, but I'm standing up on the inside. (laughs) Maybe that's what you remember, right? Remember that faithful are the wounds of a friend. We, we have blind spots in our own lives, in our, in our beliefs, in our practices. And we need to be humble enough before one another that we, can, that we can receive that reproof when it comes. We can receive that correction. It takes a work of the Spirit in our hearts. That takes God having humbled us to bring us to that point. But just as it is hard to receive reproof and hard to receive correction, it's also very difficult to give. Now, some people, some people really, you know, give a lot of reproof, a lot of correction, right? But, uh, but I think for most of us, it's very difficult uh, to reprove and to correct the way we ought to. And so, Paul, in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 24 and 25, he gives this caution that I think uh, some of us need to hear. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone. Able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. There's an instruction there. And notice that he did not say, just avoid that whole correction thing. Right? That's a, that's a, that's a road that leads to least problems. That's not what he says. Do it with gentleness. Do it with humility. Long-suffering. But do it. We owe it to one another, and we owe it to our Lord to treat one another that way. And the Bible is the source of our correction. The Bible is the source of our reproof. If I come to you to make an observation about your life, and I say, well, I, just, I don't like that you do that. Oh, is there, I'm, I'm sorry, you know, is there a biblical reason or whatever? No, I just don't like it. I mean, I don't do that, so you shouldn't do that. How's that going to play, right? Not very well. The source of our correction is, whether it's a doctrinal correction or whether it's a lifestyle correction is God's word. The Bible says be gentle and lowly and you're violent and pushy. I don't know. Right? So let's come into line with scripture. The Bible is profitable for teaching, but it's also profitable for reproof and for correction. And finally, it's profitable profitable for training in righteousness. This is again a, a presentation of what, what what our lives are to look like. How we are to behave. A Christian is not merely someone who has been redeemed. Not merely someone who has received forgiveness. A Christian is someone who has been redeemed. Someone who has received forgiveness. But that forgiveness and that redemption leads to a change of life. Leads to a particular kind of behavior. And it's not a a direct path. It's not always easy. And it's not always quick. But there's a change. We, 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 we see someone who identifies as a Christian, who claims the name of Christ. Well, then we have a certain relationship to them where we may end up being the the, the, wound, the, 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 the friend who brings the faithful wound at certain times. Because we, we want to be faithful to them. We want to bless them. We want God to bless them ultimately. And so we need to be willing to train one another. In righteousness, And this is part of what we're doing right here as we open up God's Word. But God's Word is faithful. It is profitable for teaching, for reproof and correction, and for training in righteousness. Practical application that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And so, he's trying to motivate, he's trying to encourage Timothy. And by extension, I'm trying to encourage you. To cling to God's word, knowing its character, knowing what it's like, knowing its sufficiency—that when, when, when God was, you know, uh, as if He were having a conversation with Himself about how He wanted to accomplish the Christian life for people, how He wanted to, to teach people and instruct them, He said, "I know what I'll do. I'll give them My Word because it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction." and for training in righteousness. And so we know the sufficiency of Scripture, and so we cling to it. Where else are we going to go to learn how to live the Christian life? Where else are we going to go to learn what is true and what we ought to believe and what we ought to love? There is nowhere else we can go. I mean, often we go elsewhere. Often we will uh, kind of learn by osmosis. Uh, we, We have our own preferences, perhaps, of of the way we would like things to be or things that we would like to be good or bad or right or wrong or true or untrue. But the only reliable source, the totally reliable source, is God's word itself. And so we see it's sufficiently, sufficiency. But then he concludes in verse 17, we also know its aim. We know its aim. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work it, it didn't stop with salvation it didn't stop with with redemption with, with the fact that we can be made wise for salvation that we can have faith in Christ because the Bible teaches us it teaches that and it centers on that and that is the that is the focal point and we see that again and again but it leads somewhere it leads to growth In the Christian life, it leads to the man of God being complete, equipped for every good work. It equips us. The Bible does. For every good work. This is the aim of Scripture. This is the target. This is the goal that Scripture has. is not just our redemption, but that we would also begin to be conformed to the image of God's Son in our very character, in our very life. And so this is the aim, this is the goal of Scripture. In order for man to have everything he needs, in order for the Christian to have all that is needed to live as a Christian, where do we go? Where do we go? Or maybe ask it another way, what does the Holy Spirit use to equip us for the work of ministry? He uses the Word of God. And so, by the way, this is the reason that uh, Stephen and I are going to Africa. We were asked by Pastor Boniface if uh, if our elders would, uh, would come over and train their pastors. And we were excited to do that. And, and so Stephen and I are going for that purpose. But what we're training them in is the teaching of the Bible. We want them to have better access to the Word of God. They've got the Bible in their language and they can read it and and they do and they teach it but our desire is to help them better access the word of God which is profitable for teaching and reproof and correction and training in righteousness that the Christians in Burundi would be complete adequate complete prepared equipped for every good work and so we're teaching the Bible and I'll be teaching on hermeneutics and Stephen will be teaching uh, some basic doctrine the 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 teaching of the Bible what the Bible means that's what we're taking because we want uh, these Burundian pastors we want the the church in Burundi to be founded upon to be built upon God's word to understand what it's what, what its character is what it's like to understand how sufficient it is and to understand its goal in the Christian life and so as we uh, come to the end of our passage here, I want to just bring out a couple of points of doctrine for us to keep in mind as we come away from this. First of all, Scripture is God-breathed. It's not the religious reflections of eloquent men. The Bible comes to us from God. Him speaking to us what He knows we need. Scripture is God breathed. Second of all, Scripture is able to make us wise for salvation. And nothing else is. It's Scripture that teaches us about God. It's Scripture that teaches us about ourselves and about our very need before God. It's only Scripture that teaches us the solution to this in Christ. It's only Scripture that directs us to faith in Christ to find salvation. Now, we can share with each other, and we do. But when we're doing that, we're sharing Scripture. so scripture is able to make us wise for salvation. And thirdly, scripture is sufficient for equipping us in every way that we need to serve God. We don't have to go and take a leadership course somewhere. Those may be fine. We don't have to go and take a, a, a strategy course or, or or a business course or something like that to to grow in the Christian life. We, we may do those things and those may be fine things, but the, the thing that is sufficient, the thing that is essential in the core and fully in itself capable of preparing the Christian to walk with God, to serve God in all the ways that God wants, is the Bible itself. That's what it's profitable for, and so that's why we're... Uh, having the Bible open in front of us right now and talking about what God's Word says because we are being equipped. Being equipped even now. So Scripture is sufficient for equipping us in every way we need to serve God. And so, what's the application? Take advantage of the Scriptures. Take advantage of the Scriptures. How often do we... Go through a day and we think, wow, maybe I, uh, I could have read my Bible today, but I didn't, right? Or, or, or how often do we go through the week without pondering what we heard on a Sunday or preparing for what we're going to hear on a Sunday? How often do we let opportunities pass when we could be talking about what, uh, what Scripture teaches and instead we're talking about something different, right? let so take advantage of the Scriptures. We have them uh, readily available to us like nobody else in history. Let's take advantage of the Scriptures. And secondly, let's continue in them, knowing the power that they have and the role that they play in equipping you. Continue in the Scriptures. How long have you been reading the Bible? I was talking to someone who assured me that at a certain point in his Christian life, he thought, well, he you know, pretty well <clears throat> knew everything that was really necessary. Right? He pretty well understood what, what Scripture would have him do, what Scripture would have him believe, right? Well, we come to a place where we understand the basics of the gospel, we understand the basics of who God is and who we are and what this Christian life is like and how to share the gospel. We learn those things, but are we done? Have we grasped all that God spoke to us? All that God sought to teach us? No, we've not. If we continue studying the Scripture and we continue trying to understand what God is saying here, we will do so to the day of our death and it would be a profitable use of our time the whole time. How useful we would be to our families if we understood the doctrine of Scripture better. How useful we would be in our church, in our, in our conversation, in sharing the Gospel. How much better equipped would we be just by knowing God's Word better. So continue in the Scriptures. Reading through it once isn't going to uh, be the end. Read, read, Study. We, we try to provide opportunities uh, to do that here at Parkside. And then thirdly, trust the Bible to equip you for every good work. Trust the Bible to teach you what you need to do and how to do it. Because I have ideas for you of what you ought to do. And you have ideas for me of what I ought to do and how it ought to be done. Right? And those may be great ideas. But we need to be equipped from Scripture about what we ought to be doing and how we ought to be doing it. So we look to the Bible for those answers. We look to the Bible for that kind of equipping. So trust the Bible. Trust what the Bible says. Lean on it. And when you're reading it, and you say, well, it sure seems to be saying this one thing that's flatly contradicted in my culture. Which one are you going to go with? You've got to go with the Scripture. Trust what the Scripture says. You may need to work hard to continue to study. You may need to try and examine it more deeply. You might need to spend a year or more examining that topic. But trust the Bible. Trust the Bible. So, in conclusion, Paul's last words to his younger associate, his son in the faith, his protege, Tell us about what God viewed as important. Timothy who was going through this struggle in his church. He's pastoring this church. He's got elders against him. He's got difficulty within the church. He's got a, and he's kind of a timid guy himself. What's he to do? Well, Paul knows all about him. And he says, "Timothy, cling to God's word. It is profitable to teach you all that you need. It's profitable for reproof and for correction." And all the training and righteousness that you need, that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. So cling to it, Timothy, cling to it. So the message for you and me today, hearing Paul's final words that were that were so weighing on his heart, the, the very central message of what he's teaching here to Timothy, cling to God's word. Parkside, let's cling to God's word. Trust it, rely on it. God has given it to us, and it is a wonderful, wonderful gift. And so as Stephen and I go to Africa, and we're going to teach, be praying for us, by the way, and we'll give an opportunity in just a few moments here to pray for us, but our desire is that the church in that region in, uh, in Africa there would be blessed to know and cling to God's Word even more strongly. And, of course, our desire is the same here at Parkside. That you yourself would know and trust and cling to God's word. That you would desire to know what it means. What the the teaching is. What it would have you know and believe and love. And what it would have you do. That's my desire for you. That's my desire for the pastors in Africa. And that's my desire for myself. God has given us such a gift in his word. It points us to Christ. It tells us who we are. It gives us life in Jesus. Let's pray, Father. We are grateful for Your Word, and we—I confess that often I neglect Your Word, not not viewing it as I fully ought to, as as Your God-breathed Word to me to teach and reprove and correct. And train me. Father, I pray that we, that I, would cling to your word. And that you would be at work in us. By your spirit. Applying your word in us. So that we would be equipped for every good work. Father, we pray as as we go about our week. That you would remind us of your word. The value of it. That you would... Uh, bless when we go to Africa and get to teach in a different context and and bless when uh, we wake up early in the morning and and read uh, in, in our usual context. We pray that your word would be bearing fruit in our lives. Help us to cling. Help us to continue. Help us to value your word. Be directed by your word. You've given it to us to bless us in all of these ways. And we are grateful. And ultimately, we are grateful that your word points us to Christ, that we who are dead in our trespasses and sins are made alive, have forgiveness, have received the righteousness of Christ credited to our account, have peace with God by faith in Jesus. So we thank you and we praise you. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to read a passage of Scripture here to us, and and uh, then you can come up and pray for Stephen and me, if you would, please. This is from Colossians chapter 3, and verses 15 and 17 through 17. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. God bless you all, and you are dismissed.